There's no way to get uh, leadership done uh, by yourself. It is all about building trust and bringing others together. The Ethicist Corner, a new podcast brought to you by the Kegley Institute of Ethics. So welcome to The Ethicist Corner, a podcast in which we discuss ethics in everyday life. Uh, my guest today, uh, very happy to say, is CSUB President Dr. Lynette Zelezny. Uh, Dr. Zelezny, welcome to The Ethicist Corner and thanks for joining us. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be with you today. Thanks for the great invitation. I'm so excited to be here. Of course. So just to, just to start, can you tell us about, for those of our listeners who don't know, tell us about your background and where, where did you grow up? Yeah, that's a, it's a really good question. I was born in Dallas, Texas, but my dad was a contract engineer in aerospace uh, during my young uh, childhood. And so we moved uh, almost, almost every year of my life until I was in college. So um, there's, uh, there's a couple of, of things that I took away from that kind of an upbringing. Um, first of all, it made me very flexible. So I was able to really parachute into new environments and have to get my um, uh, sea legs really quickly and make friends and, uh, and be productive. The other thing is it made me very, very close to my grandparents. And I, uh, I'm very, very much indebted to the time I had being influenced by my grandparents on both sides. So my mother's parents were uh, from England, they're immigrants, and uh, my other side of, of the family, my dad's parents, uh, my dad was an only child, and uh, Texans, but a uh, very strong Methodist background. Um, and so I really, I really gained from close relationships with my grandparents. Fantastic. And in, that, and in that, you know, growing up in that situation where you're moving and you, you have these strong family relationships, you know, where in there did the educational career start for you? Like, when, when did that first start to come together? Where you're like, maybe that's something I want to do. Well, you know, that's a great question. It really wasn't until much, much later. I always liked school. Uh, it was a real foothold for me as I moved around a lot, but I was sometimes in two schools a year. So um, I, um, I am very proud that I do have a best friend of 50 years. That to me seems almost miraculous that yeah. uh, I was able to find a friend and, and still uh, have that relationship as of today. But what I did remember is how much I loved school. I always loved school and I really liked math in school and it was really not until I was in the CSU at Humboldt State when I had the opportunity to be a teaching assistant for statistics when I was an undergraduate that I really realized, oh, I really, I really like this. I, I'm really pretty good at it. And so I would say that was when there was a real turning point in my career. It really shifted. It's, you know, and it's interesting, you know, with you being in such a prominent leadership role for our campus and community, you know, in part of this podcast, we think about some of our listeners as being people who are interested in leadership and people who are in leadership positions. And, you know, I think one of the things is like when certain people are in early stages of their career, particularly, they, they look up to people like you and they're saying, how did she get there? And, you know, for you being president, was that, was that, was there a stage in your career where you started thinking, you know, intentionally, like that's a leadership role I want to take on? Or was it kind of a gradual thing where you were taking on more responsibility and you kind of found this is something I'm good at? Like, how did that come together for you? 
That's, that's a really good question that I like to share, particularly when I'm coaching women leaders, is that for me, I know folks uh, want me to say, you know, I really knew early on, uh, I really felt I was called to that as a child, but that really is not the truth. I, I really never had my sights set on being a provost nor mm -hmm. a president. In fact, uh, the role of provost, I really, really loved being um, in that role in academe. Um, and working with faculty in the academy, that was just uh, just a joyful job. I, I really never even though knew what a provost was, even when I was a lecturer uh, starting out in my career. So really what happened, and this is important to note, is that um, like other leaders in history, opportunities really found me. And uh, the, the lesson to learn here, I think, is when the opportunity was there, I was ready. I was very prepared. Mm -hmm. So um, really never had my sights set on being a president, had turned, turned down a number of, of nominations for presidency, just didn't seem like the right fit. Um, but when uh, President Castro uh, spoke with me about Bakersfield, um, it took me all of five seconds. I said, you know, that would be the only place I would be interested. So for me, it's a dream that this opportunity happened. And I really do feel like I'm in the right place at the right time. Now that you're here and, you know, you've had such a strong start to your tenure, but also this, this unprecedented challenge has come up too, right? This COVID-19 era that we're in. So can you talk a bit about some of like the, the challenges that that's presented for you and your team and like ways that as a leader, you've thought about, okay, here's how we need to respond to this challenge in a positive way. Like how, how has that gone for you? Yeah, well, you know, for me, a challenge is always an opportunity to learn. And uh, one of the things that I said to the cabinet, the very, really second I realized what we were in for is uh, we pulled together an emergency cabinet meeting and I said, and, and opened with this, I said, folks, this is when our team gets really, really great. Mm -hmm. And we also knew that this was going to be an incredible opportunity to shine. And we were, again, very, very prepared. So early, early on in my tenure, I had come from Fresno State, as many of you know, and we had had some challenges there. So I came very, very prepared for emergency situations. So when we started with me as the president, um, I pulled together an all new uh, emergency preparedness team and we were meeting regularly. So we were, we already had trust. Mm -hmm. We already had designated players that were important to any emergency team and they were just ready to click on. And, uh, you know, we were guided by value decision-making, but um, it has really been an opportunity for us to be very steady leaders and again, still able to make positive impact even in the middle of what is a crisis. So one of the things I hear there with your response is it's, it's not a matter of just responding to the crisis when it hits, it's a matter of responding to the crisis way before it hits. It's like having, right. having a team in place, thinking ahead, having people you trust, right? That's um, right. Are, are there, you know, are there other maybe exemplars or types of leaders that have been influential for you in terms of your, your, your kind of conception of what it means to be a leader, but maybe specifically in terms of how to respond to a crisis? Like, are there particular right. leaders that you think ha have taught you something or have been influential for you in that regard? There's a whole lot of them. One of my favorite books, and we read this book as a cabinet about a year ago. Um, we read as a cabinet. It's one of my favorite hobbies. And mm -hmm. 
uh, were voracious readers in our family, but I asked the cabinet to read along with me. So at, uh, at the beginning of every academic semester, I always pick a book and share it with the cabinet. Um, and one that I think was a bit prophetic is I shared Doris Kearns Goodwin, Leadership in Turbulent Times. And this is a fascinating book. It is about some of the presidents that uh, really probably were great presidents because of the time that they served in. And some of those that I'll mention here are Abraham Lincoln. Um, and so when you think of what he went through in the Civil War and how he, again, had so many challenges, but what you gather from him is he was a great communicator. And again, think about this. He was a self-made man. He was self-taught. He didn't go to law school. He wasn't a Rhodes Scholar, but he wrote and communicated in such an effective way. But the other thing that you learn about uh, Abraham Lincoln is a very strategic thinker. And you see this throughout history through other great leaders. So if you think about Martin Luther King, um, he's a leader that I followed as a child living in the South and watched his trajectory. Um, also knew about his philosophy later on when I taught Henry David Thoreau, mm -hmm. a civil disobedience who heavily influenced uh, Martin Luther King, as well as Gandhi. Um, and I watched again, um, you know, value-based decision-making, having that North Star, being the great communicator. Um, he was a very shy man. And so one of the things that people don't realize about him is uh, that he often would be so nervous before speaking that he would get the hiccups. And I hmm. get actually strength from that, strength knowing he was a real man. Yeah. And that like me, I'm also an introvert. He, he had to step up at the moment, but he knew when the moment was his. And he was able to, again, make such amazing, um, challenging decisions that changed uh, history for civil rights in the U.S. Yeah. And that's interesting. I mean, it's, you know, it's interesting you bring up, too, I think sometimes with, with figures like Abraham Lincoln and, and Dr. King, they have, I mean, they have this, like, mythic status, right? So you, you do tend to sometimes think of them as larger than life, but they're, they were human beings, you know, who had, you know, personality traits and Lots of strengths, but also weaknesses too, right? And, and yes. that's part of like kind of recognizing that, maybe being a leader is understanding the things that you're really good at and the things you're not as good at. Um, that's right. But, you know, for, you know, for other people, let's say in the Bakersfield community who are, you know, maybe in leadership positions and trying to kind of organize their teams at this time and, and be as proactive and positive as possible, are there lessons you and your team have learned that you think are exportable, like here, here are some lessons I've learned in kind of facing this crisis that I think might be beneficial to other people leading teams of people that you might think about? Yeah, well, you know, everyone always, you know, uh, wants to put things in the context of Bakersfield. And I'm always the biggest cheerleader for uh, Kern County Bakersfield. So I always remind people, okay, folks, uh, don't, uh, don't put this in like just Bakersfield. Mm -hmm. This is the home, this is the home of Cesar Chavez. This is the, this is the birthplace and the uh, place and where uh, Dolores Huerta made such impact. This is where Chuck Yeager broke the speed of sound. So there are heroes all around us. And when I think of uh, Bakersfield, you know, it is really about the people. And the people in Bakersfield are uh, heroic in their in their own right. You know that many of them were uh, uh, folks that immigrated, uh, some from Oklahoma, but others from other parts of the world. They came to the Central Valley because there was uh, a work ethic. There was 
hopefully family that they could connect with, but um, they're hardworking people. This is what I think about when I think of my grandparents. Um, they were both both sides, working class people. So, and that's really what it takes. It really takes a strong, uh, optimistic work ethic and one in which you know that it is working with others. Um, mm. There's no way to get uh, leadership done uh, by yourself. It is all about building trust and bringing others together. And yes, it is important to know what your strengths are, but also what are the strengths of other people mm -hmm. that, that bring to making sure that um, you were, you were there at the right moment um, for those critical times in history. So, right. um, so Bakersfield, you know, this is, this is a place of heroes and yeah. I feel really honored to be serving in Bakersfield, but I never ever forget uh, who came before me right. um, in, in, in our sense of place. Yeah, no, that's, that's important. I'm glad you, you added that. And then also this idea, too, of highlighting the strengths of those people that, are, that you're working with, right? And kind of part of being a leader is giving people a platform to shine, right, who are following you or who are working with you, right? It's not all about the things you can deliver. That's really important. And I think part of what's fascinating about leadership is there are just so many different ways to do that, right? I mean, I think, I mean, I'll give Norma, our podcast producer, I, she's doing amazing work. And you know, you, we're recording this podcast and we were doing it face to face until a month ago. And then we think we revamp and we're, you know, everything changes, but you allow people to shine and they do great work. So it's, it's, it's uh, what you say is very true in my experience too. What message do you have? I'm thinking about here that the CSUV students in particular, you know, obviously our students, uh, not just our students, but, but lots of students across the country, right, are, are going through a really significant period of transition, not one that was anticipated. You know, they're, they're going to online classes and there's, you know, thinking about their commencement and all these important rites of passage. What message do you have for them right now? Like, you know, I mean, if, you, if you're talking to CSB students and, and thinking about things you'd want to say to them at this time, what, what are some of those things you'd want, to, you'd want to say? Yeah, I would want to remind them who they are. So most of our students at CSUB and, and uh, likewise in the CSU system, um, they, they come from families where hard work is really what they're built upon. And so when I think of our own students at CSUB, it makes me so proud because again, I do think that we're modeling looking at this challenge as a learning opportunity. We have a new, a new opportunity to learn in a different way. And faculty have a new opportunity to, to teach in a different way. And we're gonna find some strength in this, but to students, I would say, you have got this. Um, you are all about hard work and resilience. So you've got to just hold on to your grit at this time. And again, be very optimistic and be very steady. And think about the long term, the stories that you'll have that, um, that, that you not only survived this, but, but how you overcame this challenge with huge success. Mm -hmm. So um, that's really what our students are about. And, and I can't wait um, for us to be over the pandemic and hear the way that students write and communicate about how they overcame with success um, this time. Because I think it's really going to be a value added to them when they're going into their professional world because people will, will see the remarkable resilience of our students. And again, nothing could be better than to have that opportunity at this time. Yeah, and I, you know, it's true. And I, and I think it's been really amazing to me to see the, both the creativity you know, that comes out of times like this, you know, just the way that students have stepped up, the way our faculty have stepped up, our administration, so everybody kind of 
just stepping forward and, and, and thinking about new ways to do things that, you know, cause you can't rely on the old paths and it's amazing the innovation that comes out of that. Um, but also just, I, I personally, I've been really inspired by the students, just the way they've stepped up. I mean, I, I just, it's really been um, remarkable. And for me, it makes me really proud to, to be here and work with them. Me too. Um, yeah. I can I can also say, you know, we we do a monthly. We've been doing this since I came aboard. I really love being outside. And uh, so selfishly, I put together this runner walk and talk just so I could get outside and not be stuck yeah. in an office and be mm -hmm. also accessible to people that I serve. But what I found just fascinating is that, uh, you know, typically we would have somewhere between 20 to 40, 45 was a really good number for runner walk and talk. Mm -hmm. um, well, now we're approaching 200 students, faculty, and staff popping on. Wow. And uh, what I think will happen is that this will become, again, a, a new way of communicating with students. Students are asking for more. And I really do think that some innovative students are going to be thinking about how do, how do we keep that access open with the cabinet members, with the president. So it's been really fun for me to see how students really are eager for that communication. Yeah. And, uh, and I've really enjoyed it. Yes, I think that's, that's fantastic. You're right. I mean, like the level of transparency and access maybe is even, in some ways, it's, it's interesting, is even, maybe even greater now, right, than it was before because of how much we're using Zoom and, and these, these innovative features. So that's, that's true. And thank you for making yourself so accessible at this time. We all know you're very busy with a lot of commitments. Well, it's a pleasure. And, you know, it's even fun to watch how we all react to Zoom bombing and yes. who, hold, who holds steady, who just sort of smiles and says, that's just so silly. And, yeah. uh, but, uh, you know, just put, puts it in perspective, right? That uh, we'll overcome this. So we will, we will indeed. And we have to, I mean, this, this being a, a podcast that focuses on ethics and probably we might need to do an ethics of Zoom bombing podcast and need to file <laughs> that away because it doesn't seem like that issue is going away anytime soon. But, uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll save that for another day. That um, would be great. I know yeah. Faust Gorham would really be a great person to talk to. Yeah, that's a good point. That, that could give you some perspective on it. Mm hmm. All right, so Dr. Zelezny, we have a, a tradition with our podcast. We call it the lightning round. It's uh, five questions that help us, help our listeners to get to know you a little bit better. The first question is, uh, what was the last book you read and would you recommend it to others? Well, the last full book that I read was uh, Leadership in, in Turbulent Times. Um, but I also, I, I, I love all types of books and and uh, I read everything from uh, Jane Austen to uh, learning about the tycoons uh, and leadership. So reading is a real hobby of mine. So mm. I love sharing books with my children and they share books with me as well. Yeah. Was there, a, was there a, a, a book from your, your childhood that you remember being particularly striking to you? Maybe one that kind of ignited a love of reading for you? Well, gosh, that, that I, I think I was a very early reader because remember I was born when I didn't have a television set. So, uh, so I know that my grandparents read to me uh, quite a lot. My mm -hmm. grandfather used to read poetry to me. And so mm -hmm. I started writing my own poems really, really young, but he, he just thought that was so amazing. So oftentimes I would uh, hear poems. He loved Robert Frost mm. um, and he would read them to me. And then I would, uh, you know, I would spend the rest of my day trying to write a poem and impress my grandfather. Very cool. What is your favorite travel destination, uh, near or far and why? 
Wow. Well, maybe, maybe this will be disappointing, but it's usually home. Uh, I, lo I, like, I love to get home. Uh, I love to get home to read and, um, uh, and, you know, to just, you know, enjoy, uh, enjoy music and, uh, and to think. So yeah. home, home is a real refuge for me. Understood. No, I think that's a great answer. Um, okay. If you could have dinner with anyone, past or present, uh, who would it be and why? This is like the hardest question ever. It's like, what's your favorite movie? Because I'm a big movie fan. And so, you know, when I really said this, this one took me a long time. So my, my range of potential answers was everywhere from uh, Mary Magdalene to Joan of Arc to Winston Churchill to Jane Austen to Henry David Thoreau to Abraham Lincoln to Robin Williams uh, to Cary Grant. But I really would say if, if if I really had to choose one, it would probably be my grandmother on my maternal side because um, I would always want to choose someone that was funny and my grandmother was hysterical. Um, and she, she also, um, you know, was just such a loving, caring person. So I, I would, it would probably, I, I, would, I would get all the package just talking to her. Yes, got you, good answer. And so I think we we'll need to update that question if you could do a Zoom, a Zoom date with one person, who would it be? Because I think I, we, gotta get, we gotta get current with the times here, so. That's right, yeah. that's right. Um, so what is your favorite thing about living in Bakersfield? Well, that's easy, it would be the people. I absolutely love the people, and, and I really mean that wholeheartedly. Um, I feel home in Bakersfield, it is how I grew up. It's the type of people I grew up with mm -hmm. that are very unassuming, salt of the earth uh, kind of people. So it's the people. Awesome. And our last question, but not least, um, aside from your, your leadership role and all that work that keeps you busy there, what is one hobby and or creative pursuit that you are passionate about? Well, I already shared reading is uh, probably what I do when I'm given a choice. Mm -hmm. But um, if I'm going to share my passion, it would have to be either watching old movies or I love to dance. Uh, mm -hmm. And then uh, John and I really love the outdoors. So any moment I can be out in nature is a choice for me. So those, those are all things I just love. Fantastic. And there's some great opportunities around here for that these days with all the poppies coming out right now, too. It's oh. really beautiful wildflowers are going to be gorgeous this year. Yeah, yeah. All right, so Drs. Leslie, um, again, thanks so much for being with us. It's been wonderful talking with you. Um, really interesting. And uh, also just thank you for all the work you're doing for our university and our community at this time. We, we all really appreciate it. Well, it's such a pleasure. It's a real honor to serve with you. And uh, my grown professional children are going to be really proud that I did a podcast. So I'm pretty proud of myself. Thanks for the great invitation. Of course. Thank you. Thank you. The Kegley Institute of Ethics is excited to announce that actor, singer, producer, and star of the Netflix original series, Dear White People, Ashley Blaine Featherson will deliver a special lecture called Transforming Your Trials into Triumphs via Zoom. The event will be held on Thursday, April 23rd at 6 p.m. The event is free and open to all. The Zoom link will be posted on the KIE website at ccb.edu slash KIE and through all the KIE social media channels before the event date. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.